What makes us different? Auto racing fans. Formula One fans. Like others, we have passion for our sport, its participants, its venues. Like others, we cheer on favorite teams and countrymen. Like others, we make at times irrational decisions in favor of our beloved sport over our loved ones. And like others, we crest international walls of culture and ethnicities for one common purpose. But that common purpose is quite uncommon. Man and machine united. The peak of technology perfectly married to humans' most basic impulses of competition and survival. Endless time and countless money mixed with seemingly limitless talent and boundless bravery. And all of it just to go a little bit faster than anyone else. Speed. We understand its power. We relish its rewards and deeply respect its ability to punish. As faithful followers, we know as fact that both driver and car possess souls, and that both speak to us. We know that life begins above 3 Gs of acceleration. Life begins above 100 miles an hour. That life begins after the green flag drops. 20 drivers will take that flag in Australia, all of them with an insatiable appetite for speed, all of them desperate to break later, corner faster, throttle on earlier, control the car better, be quicker, and all of them completely absorbed in one thought, I must win. And while only one driver, one team can win, all of us, millions strong across the entire globe, can unanimously celebrate the victory. It doesn't matter whether your favorite driver won or not. We know what it took for the winner to get there. We know the difficulty of the challenge, the level of competition, and we know a lifetime was spent dreaming and preparing for this very moment. And that is why our hearts palpitate as the checkered flag flies, why we listen solemnly as the national anthem plays, why we can almost taste the champagne, because every victory is a victory for all of us. That is what makes us different. This is Formula One. This is the F1 show. Good day, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 for coverage of the 2009 season opener, the Australian Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. And finally, here we are in the season of 2009. Woo! Couldn't have been a more exciting race. And let's get right into the report. Formula One wasted no time this year giving us a plateful of entertainment and controversy. It starts with a Disney-like plot. A team at the brink of shutting its doors gets help from a noble knight and goes on to win the Australian GP. That's right. Jensen Button wins in Australia, followed in second by Rubens Barrichello both driving for the brand-new, virgin-sponsored Braun GP team. A more familiar face came third, Lewis Hamilton in the McLaren Mercedes, but only after Truly was penalized for passing during a caution in his Toyota. That also opened the door for Truly's teammate, Timo Glock, finishing fourth. Fernando Alonso was close behind in the Renault. Nico Rosberg was next in line, finishing sixth in his Williams Toyota. Taking the last of the points were STR's Team Sebastian, with Swiss rookie Buemi ahead of champ car-trained Bourdais. Here at the F1 show, we know this is going to be a great season. Why? Because six different constructors collected points in the first race, and Ferrari wasn't one of them. Even more astonishing, only 6.2 seconds separated the top eight at the checkered flag. But that's because the race finished under caution after Kubica and Vettel punted each other in the closing laps while fighting for second place. Like we said, it's going to be a great season. Jim. Well, before we get too far along with the race, I do want to step back oh, a second to qualifying. Oh, you're crushing these people. They want to know what happened. I know, but let's. I mean, starting off with qualifying, um, we'd seen a lot in the preseason testing, a lot of it in the uh, practice. You know, Toyota was looking strong. Like we saw, the Braun GP cars were looking strong. Williams, but we didn't know if that was actually going to be their true pace or if that was just 
you know, lucky combination of testing lightweights or low fuel or whatever. And it was it was looking like, wow, this is too good to be true. There's no way they're that quick. There's yeah. no way they're going to be faster than Ferrari and McLaren and and BMW Sauber. Yeah. So, but and in qualifying, obviously that that you know turned out to be true that the Braun GP cars did go uh, you know first and second with uh, Jensen Button just barely ahead of uh, Rubens Barrichello, but. Uh, you know, Toyota was looking strong early on. Uh, so was Williams. And they actually, yeah, and, and Toyota ended up um, off their own pace. They said they had issues with the setup. They couldn't get heat into the tires. Um, ended up qualifying kind of mid-pack, but uh, they were disqualified for their, their rear wings were too flexible. Um, the, the test for that the FIA does is they, they actually hang a weight from the center of the rear wing, and if it flexes more than a specified amount, that's too flexible. That's considered a movable aerodynamic device, and they're disqualified. So um, they were the Toyotas were not disqualified from the race, but just from, from qualifying. So they actually had to start from pit lane, or they started from the back of the grid, and they chose to start from pit lane. Right. So the fact that they were co- able to come back and collect any points at all, let alone as, as high as they did um, before Later, being penalized some more. I mean, by Yarna truly being penalized some more for passing. Right, we'll get there we'll, later. We'll get but, into that later. You know, it was a really kind of a roller coaster ride for Yarno from being, you know, looking good in practice to looking fine in qualifying to being disqualified to being, you know, just crazy, crazy days for Toyota. And that um, wasn't the only drama in qualifying because right. uh, Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton was also slow. I mean, he, he just barely made it into Q two. Um, Heike Kovalainen did make it through to Q two and ended up to go on twelfth. But uh, as soon as as soon as Q two started, um, we noticed Hamilton wasn't setting any laps and wasn't setting any laps. And as the time ticked down, uh, we saw him there sitting in the garage, and we later found out he had gearbox trouble in the garage. Yeah, so, <laughs> not in the car. So Hamilton did not turn any laps in the second qualifying session, and later had to change his gearbox, which is a five grid spot penalty. So uh, that's yeah. why he ended up starting lower down. He uh, started, I guess, eighteenth because the Toyota's penalties right. were worse than his so right you know they ended up going behind him so right so he was originally uh hamilton was originally 15th he got a five grid uh penalty down to 20th but then bumped up two places to 18th because of toyota's penalty which happened afterwards um i want to also clarify something uh uh, kovalainen didn't qualify 12th he qualified 14th he was dead last in the second round of qualifying among the drivers that were out on the track. Yes. But then he also bumped up two places because of the Toyotas because both Toyotas made it to the third round of qualifying. Yeah. So Kovalainen was not 12th on his own merits. True. Okay. Right. And uh, and that's just, I mean, we're through qualifying and, you know, that's just as complicated as this, as this right. race was. But let's, let, we have, I mean, you can't, you can't overstate this. Braun GP, the, what was known as Honda un, until just a few months ago, his cars were first and second in qualifying. Their debut race under the new name completely dominated qualifying. I mean, that's that's remarkable. Yeah, that's not getting lucky on pit strategy or anything like that. That's just outright that's speed. That's outright speed. And, and, of course, you know, strategy, but all the teams have a qualifying strategy pretty well sorted out. I mean, obviously, Ferrari and McLaren and these guys know how to qualify and know when to put the right tires on and get in and out and all that. So, yeah, that's... I mean that's that's just huge, huge for them uh, to have a one-two in qualifying, and and obviously because you know we're all we are listening to the race report, we know they went on to win one-two, uh, but that's just you know an amazing result for them. So that's just a, what a huge boost for the new team. I mean for everybody Absolutely. who's taken Absolutely. the risk of staying on with Ross Braun, and who knows if this is going to be just another backmarker team or anything. To have them come out and be one-two is so it's, it's stunning. And uh, the one of the specs they they mentioned in the uh, in the coverage in the U.S. here is that the last time a team went one-two and it's debut was 1954 when Mercedes-Benz was brand new to the sport. Right. So it does not happen that a new team comes out. I mean, it hasn't happened in, 50, right. in what, 40, not 45 years that a new team comes out and goes one and two. It's just, just a really astonishing achievement. So, right. And there's, there's some good reasons for this that I want to get into, but I want to go over a couple more things in qualifying before we do. Yes. Um, in third place qualifying, Sebastian Vettel, Red Bull Renault. This guy is good. And we questioned whether his move from the STR, which was then faster, and he had his race win and everything last year, right. if that to Red Bull was a step up or a step down, and it seems like... One of the concerns being the Renault engine. Yeah, and it seems like that was a step up, because um, whatever it is, the Renault engine uh, under development and uh, and everything else, I mean, everything seems to be pretty well equalized power-wise, and, uh, you know, they they've got that you know, Vettel just did a great job, and, and yep. in the in the Red Bull, you know, it doesn't. I don't think that the STRs were faster, and that the Red Bulls were just being driven better. I think the Red Bulls were faster cars. Absolutely, and and you know, Adrian Newey had a full, 
you know, full access to the Red Bull car this year. And uh, he has put together quite an impressive design. It's interesting because of the new rules this year. The, the cars actually look a fair amount different from each other this year. And the Red Bull car seems to have the highest nose of the entire field. Just, there's a whole lot of air that they want to push under the nose of this car and move around in different places. And, and it seems to be working quite effectively. Um, and, but the other thing that we should mention from that, his teammate, and there was a lot of discussion about this last year, Mark Weber qualified eighth, which isn't as impressive sounding, but I think, honestly, throughout the weekend, Weber and Vettel were on top of each other. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're going to see... I think you're going to see Weber keep Vettel honest, but Vettel's really turning out to be quite an impressive talent here. Absolutely. Uh, the other last thing about the grid, um, the top eight, which are all the, all the guys, um, of course, because the Toyotas made it to Q3, but then were then penalized. Um, the top eight guys on the grid are actually only 1.05 seconds from first to eighth. So a real nice tight grid, um, even Absolutely. with all the rule changes and the different tires and the different aero package and everything that's, that's, that's come into play, the cars are really right on top of each other. And I guess, you know, whatever balancing they've been able to do, um, to, to keep everything in balance, uh, that's, that's been going well because, you know, the, the cars are really close. And obviously, like we saw in the race, there was plenty of passing and plenty of going on to, uh, to keep things interesting. Right. Now, one more thing to talk about qualifying before I'm ready to move on at least is uh, Nico Rosberg. He was fast all day on Friday and ended up qualifying fifth and uh, real quick ended up having a decent race but somewhat disappointing. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, I, th- I think you're going to have to keep an eye on him. Rosberg, I read an article on him in Racer Magazine. He This is kind of a make-or-break year for him and he really wants to establish himself this year and I still think he has quite a bit of talent. And I, I think we could see him getting into the mix, maybe even getting a win this year. That'd be great. I mean, if he's, he, I think he really does have to um, because he was such a promising rookie. And what was that, three years ago now? Yeah, yeah he, it, it was yeah three years ago because he started a year before Hamilton did. Yeah. So I think this is the beginning of his fourth season. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he, his very first race, I don't know if it was Australia. It might have been. I think he had fastest lap of the race. Yeah, and I think and he, he came, finished came I third think he or finished seventh or something like that. I think okay. he ended up finishing seventh. So uh, a little bit ironic, but he finished sixth this race. But uh, I think I think you're going to see a lot out of him. I still think he's really good. I think he's one of the smarter guys on the field, so really able to – work with the team to develop the car. So we'll have to see. I'm not as sold on Nico Rosberg, I don't think, as you. I mean, I guess he's had his chance, and I guess everyone could say, okay, it's down to the wire. This is really it. I'm really putting my all in now. It's like, well, what were you doing last year if now you're putting your all in? you know, Or was it really just down to the car? Or, you know, yeah, I, 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 think, think, I think he's had his chance to, to prove himself, and obviously if he had fast lap of the race early on, he had he had the hardware to do it and hadn't, well, you know, wasn't able to make good on it there. So yeah, we'll I, see if he turns around, of course, but I'm, right. I'm not quite as quite as excited about Nico as, as you are. Well, let's, let's move on to the race for now. Yes, we and, must. And, and what a race it was. Okay, so right from the get-go, we got the Braun GP cars on the front row. Um, the lights go out. Jensen takes off like a rocket. He just makes it's a brilliant start. Uh, Rubens Barrichello <laughs> nearly <laughs> stalls the car. It's like it's, I it's, am convinced he fell asleep. He fell asleep. He was taking a quick nap because he's old. And and then other cars started going by it. It startled him, and he went off, and he almost stalled the car. <laughs> Come on now. Let's give him a little more credit. The guy came second. <laughs> But yeah, okay. So so Ruben's got a terrible start. I don't know if he was, you know, in fourth or fifth. If, if how many cars? Oh, I think it was even farther than that. Okay, he was pretty much mid pack. Um, and let's I'm try to get the first corner schmazzle correctly now. Um, so we were worried about these these wide front wings going into you know going into especially turn one on lap one uh-huh. because now the, the the front wings are as wide as the front tires are as wide as the car and the drivers just cannot see them from where they're sitting you know you can't be watching the corners you kind of have to just know where your tires are and know how much farther your wing is in front of that and be able to avoid these other cars in really really close you know close racing and uh, and we did see a couple of lost front wings and we definitely saw some bashing around yeah that was that was predicted by a lot of people including. Uh, some of uh, some activity on our Facebook page, including uh, uh, some of my friends that I've talked to, those front wings are just begging to be knocked off, and they were. Yeah, we saw a couple of those. But um, so what happened? It was uh, Mark Weber. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm trying to think of the, the order to, to say it. And um, 
Ruben Sparacello was hit from behind by Heike Kovalainen. Right. And that pushed him into Mark Webber, the side of Mark Webber's car. Right. Which then spun over and um, – was it the – that wasn't Kaz. Who was in the uh, – who uh, else was knocked out in that? So, oh, shoot. Mark Webber was hit badly and uh, Sebastian Bourdais? No, 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 no. Sorry. Shoot, where are we here? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Heki Kovalainen. He was out. Yeah, so Heki Kovalainen he, was Hecky out. Heki Kovalainen he, was out. And, but – um, and, and Mark Weber wasn't out, but had to go back to put a, get a new front wing on the car um, and, and everything else. And, you know, he ended up being um, practically out of the race. I mean, he was a lap down for a while, um, avoided some safety cars and everything, got back on the lead lap, but was never really, you know, back in the race after that. His car was pretty badly damaged and he lost right. too much time. So that's, you know, again, Mark Weber in his home race, man. The guy has horrible luck, but I guess it's consistent. Hey, I was just going to say, at least he's consistent. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> And then there were some, you know, concerns about uh, with Rubens' car if he'd be able to hold together. The front wing, his front wing was damaged but still on, and for, you know the main part of it seemed to be okay. And he just kept on going. <laughs> you know, he, he kept on going and he kept on running into things. Yeah, he he did a couple uh, a couple of the little the little bumps here and there. But man, I guess that car is tough, or he just got real lucky, or whatever. But uh, yeah, definitely a combination of both. I mean, here's here's what happened. Jensen Button took off from pole. He was first. He was in first place for every moment in this race. Yes. No one ever passed him in the pits, anywhere. Jensen Button owned this race. And there were at times he was actually getting pressure from Vettel. Vettel was closing in, had faster lap times. He answered it every time. It was never an issue. Um, Rubens, on the other hand, had the most dramatic race. He was as far down as probably 10th or something and ended up finishing second. Um Truthfully, that was a fair amount of luck on his part. Towards the end of the race, um, Vettel and Kubica were were going to be second and third, and they were battling for second. Yes, and um, and uh, that they took they ended up taking each other out, and then uh, Truly was going to be. Uh, he was going to be third. He was actually on the podium and interviewed and everything after the race because he w- he finished just in front of right. Uh, so yeah, I, you're right. Rubens was going to be fourth before Kubica. I thought Rubens was behind Truly for some reason. No, Rubens was going to be fourth, and uh, he got gifted uh, second place by Kubica and Vettel. And then yes. yeah, that was the other thing. That Truly was <laughs> on the podium, finished the race. But and took took the you know took the trophy took did the, the trophy, interview and the whole the, thing yeah, before absolutely. they realized that he had passed under a yellow flag um, and and that and that is a little bit dicey because we weren't able to see film of that but um, from what we gather happened uh, you know truly he's behind Lewis Hamilton and they're behind the safety car and everyone's kind of speeding up and slowing down to heat up their tires and, and you know try to keep everything warm and try to you know be within the the you know minimum lap time you know they can't go too slow they can't go too fast right. Um, and and I guess Hamilton, you know, as he's done before, um, you know, just really, really slowed down and for, for whatever reason caught Truly off guard. And Truly says he had no way to go, nowhere to go. Either he'd either plow into the back of Lewis Hamilton or drive off track because um, he, he figured, hey, you know, Hamilton's got a problem. I got to I got to I got to pass this guy. Um, so he goes, yeah, I passed under yellow, but because there was that was the only thing I could do. You know, there's there's nothing else he could do. Um, and then they later had a little powwow with Hamilton and Truly after the race and said, you know, that. The race stewards determined that okay, well, yeah, truly ended up. You know, he did pass Hamilton under yellow, whether he meant to or thought about it. You know, thought it was legit or whatever. Um, he did pass him under yellow. That's a 25 second penalty. And as we've commented on the show before, a 25 second penalty can mean a lot of different things. Yes. You know, depending on if you're at and speed, in this if you're case, under a safety it car, you're screwed. Yeah, and when everyone's under the safety car, that means you're that's that's a lap basically. I mean, that's the whole field going by in 25 yep. seconds. Yep. So uh, truly ended up being classified as the last of the you know last of the run on the lead lap right. um, because everyone went by the uh, checkered flag under the safety car. Right. And, and, and at the face of it, it, it seems like truly kind of got screwed here. But the one thing that I don't understand is if Hamilton was ahead of him on the track and truly passed him because he felt like he had to, that's fine. Well, why didn't he let Hamilton buy again? Yeah, I think, and and, and that's why because we couldn't see any footage. You know, what we did see was Yarno truly off the track, driving back on, um, in front of Hamilton. So I don't know if he actually passed him off the track or like 
quite how that works. Because there's definitely an off and on, right. and and a pass involved. So if 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 maybe you know if any of you guys saw this, if any of our Australian fans were at the race or uh, anyone saw this on the TV um, coverage that we just didn't get, you know, send us a link, man. Send us some information because yes, this, this seems like a, a bit strange. And I guess it's kind of a moot point at this point because, uh, well, it's, it's as far as you know, Sunday evening. It's Sunday, you know, just after 9 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. Now, right now, what stands is that. Um, Lewis Hamilton is third. He's got the podium. He's got the points. And uh, whereas Yarno Truly is officially twelfth. Yes. So um, if that that you know unless that does change on some kind of an appeal or something, um, you know I'm I'm a little bit curious because that seemed like a little bit dicey as far as how that actually went down. Absolutely, absolutely. Now uh, one thing that's been a controversy this entire time and that ties into uh, Braun GP's success is this rear diffuser mm-hmm. issue. There are uh, three teams that are running. Uh, a more aggressive uh, rear diffuser that allows basically more, we'll just say more aerodynamic efficiency. More downforce at the more rear of the car, force, which yeah. is where they really need it the most with the, the balance of these cars right now. So seven of the teams say, hey, that's not following the spirit of the rules, and the other three of the teams say, well, it's following the rules. And uh, the three teams that are running the nice diffuser is, uh, I believe, uh, Braun GP, yep. Williams Toyota, and Toyota. Yeah. Yes. And uh, they all did quite well. You could see good speed in these cars on, in all three of these teams. And uh, furthermore, uh, they've seen with this new aerodynamic package, which, by the way, is still ugly. I'm sorry. I am not used to it. Okay. I'm getting it, used to it. As to- I am not used to it. I still think the cars look horrendous compared to last year. There are some things that are better, but overall, I think the cars are ugly. I think they look like they're from the 80s all of a sudden. Uh, which my fiance will uh, tell you is bad. So, anyway, getting back to the point, um, the rear diffuser cars were fast, and one issue with this new design of aerodynamics and everything is, and with the new tires, is that rear grip is the hard thing to come by. So, if you can use a rear diffuser and get more grip, uh, you can, you know, you have a huge advantage. And obviously, that's part of uh, what's going on here, but I think it's worth noting that. For the Braun GP cars, it's not just the rear diffuser. It's not like this would be a mid-back, mid-pack car if it weren't for the different rear diffuser design. Yeah. And the reason we say that is uh, the other teams that aren't, aren't running rear diffuser are disputing the use of that rear diffuser. Yeah, so they're saying that this is, you know, like you say, not following the spirit of the rules, even if it does fit within the registra- the regulations. Um, but actually, interestingly, Rubens Barrichello said that in that early incident when uh, Heike Kovalainen rear-ended him uh, in, in, like, lap turn one and lap one of the race, um, he says the rear diffuser was totally broken uh, and so wouldn't have been, you know, wouldn't have been working to help to their advantage anyway. You know, it's kind of hard to say without knowing exactly yeah. what was broken and how what, what parts, I mean, you know, worked. he could but. have easily just been saying that as a, as a debunking, but... I'm not necessarily sure that's true. I mean, maybe the team reported him, hey, your rear diffuser's busted. But yeah. I honestly don't know why a team would tell him something like – would tell him something to make him think that his car is slower. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you, don't, you don't tend to tell your driver that. You tend to tell him, yeah, it's a little banged up, but everything's fine. Keep going. You don't say, yeah, your rear diffuser's broken, so if anybody asks you, tell them that it's broken and that you didn't have an advantage. Yeah. Which is kind of what he did. So I, I don't put – I don't put too much credibility into that. So, but yeah. either way, I, I, I just—it's just phenomenal how well they're doing. And um, yeah, and and I think it's cool too. We have only one week until uh, we see these cars in action again, so we don't have to wait too long to see what was a fluke and what was you know what McLaren can do to catch up. Um, and okay, so the other a couple other race incidents I'm going to talk about. Um, first, uh, well, Ferrari. Um, Kimi Raikkonen was a total disappointment. He's oh, going along. Just complete. I mean, where where did he start? Raikkonen started. Um, he qualified ninth, I believe. Ended up being listed as uh, seventh after the Toyotas went away. Yeah, and he was racing after uh, Barrichello had his bad start. Uh, Massa got up to third, and yep. Raikkonen got it up to fifth. But he couldn't move up. He seemed to be stuck. Fifth place was as good as he could ever get. Yeah. And in he he was just lackluster. And then and then I guess it, it officially lists his um, retirement as due to a differential issue. But uh, we saw him 
um, differential is broken because he slammed into the wall. I mean, yeah. and I guess maybe the differential locked up, which is what yeah. caused him in the yeah. wall. That, that that may be fair. So I mean, yeah, we just you know, all, all as far as we can tell, all by himself. Um, you know, maybe got to hit a curb just wrong or whatever. And again, right. we didn't see that, but we saw him get into the wall, and uh, he was able to drive his car back to the pit. And uh, I don't know, if, you know, retire yeah, pull it in. peacefully or whatever. But but it was not an impressive run, and and it was clear that Massa was faster yeah. this weekend, and which for me was especially disappointing. And and Massa, um, for his part, again had a suspension failure. I mean, he was uh, again whether he got a curb wrong or whatever it was. Um, you know, the, the suspension just broke on the car and, and he just sort of nursed it back to the pits and just drove it in yeah. um, with about, was it 12 laps to go or something like that? Um, so the Ferraris, I mean, they yeah, was started, the they started Ferrari DNF since 99 or something. Yeah. Like the, that? the both Ferraris started out kind of lackluster and ended up horribly. So Ferrari has zero points. Um, and you know, that's both just, you know, car reliability issues or something about the setup wasn't quite right. And uh, it's surprising that Ferrari, out of all the different teams, I mean, all the teams have to deal with these rule changes. There's right. no one, like, running last year's cars here. But that being said, I mean, Ferrari in qualifying seemed reasonably quick. They certainly aren't the team to beat right now, but they they were... They were mid-pack. They were, right? well, but they were in the... They were in Q3. Both got into Q3 reasonably comfortably. Yeah. They're still one of Which the stronger teams. Which is saying they're top teams. half. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, anyway, um, you know, that's... Just it's disappointing, I guess, as Ferrari, you know, for Ferrari fans. Um, well, let's 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 talk about uh, this incident between Kubica and Vettel. Okay. First of all, two extremely promising drivers. Both yes, of them. absolutely. I mean, really, Kubica considering Kubica, uh, <laughs> BMW, <laughs> this is really funny to me. BMW Sauber has determined Kubica to be too big and fat to have the Kerr system. Nick Heidfeld has the Kerr system on his car, and Kubica doesn't because. Of the weight. Like they couldn't get the weight where they needed it to get it. Kubis is too fat for it. And on top of that, BMW Sauber also does not have the rear diffuser. They're they're one of the seven teams that has a conservative diffuser. And despite all this, Kubica was in third place racing Vettel for second. I mean, he is he is lightning quick. Yeah. And, um, and again, here we have Vettel. Um, 20 years old, maybe 21 now, and just phenomenally good. Very good. Um, now, in the last few laps of the race, these two started racing each other, and it was absolutely great to watch. Uh, it ended up uh, kind of ending in tears for both of them, but it was dramatic and remarkably close. Uh, Vettel took the blame for the incident, but from our vantage point, it looked like really tough racing and maybe even a little bit of Kubitz's fault. Yeah, well, what happened, um, part of what happened with the sort of differential in speed and everything is because, um, and I think we mentioned this previously, but I'm not sure we have really got in depth on it, but um, when Bridgestone brings, um, you know, for each race, they've got the prime and the option tire, and it used to be that those would be, one would be soft, one would be super soft, and all the teams had to do, you know, at least one lap on each kind of tire. Or more generally speaking, one would be, you know, one iteration, and the next one would be the next iteration. So, you know, medium, medium, soft, hard, you know, you know, very hard. It would, you know, they'd be right next to each other. But now they're saying, well, let's bring a medium tire, relatively hard tire, and then a really soft tire. Yes. So there's a bigger difference between the two tires, the option, and the prime now. Yes, and... Well, that does give, uh, you know, the softer ones, obviously, it gives a lot more grip. They do wear off a lot quicker, um, but everyone has to use both tires during the course of the race. That that part of the rule hasn't changed, but the, as far as the difference in the compounds has changed dramatically. And what we saw, and uh, hopefully I get this all straight, um, at the end was uh, Kubisa went on to the super soft tire. He had um, fewer laps to go and, and went on to the, uh, you know, the, the really soft tire, and um, I can confirm that here that... Um, no, I guess he was on the medium tire. Yeah, I and, think it and was then, Vettel and then, and then that went Vettel, on the soft. Yeah, and Vettel was on the super soft. So they had, you know, they would have really different speeds uh, coming down into the corners. And I, and I guess Vettel's tire was starting to wear off because he he'd been on that. That was the deal. Uh, Vettel had been now on the you super, got it. The super soft tire. Um, it had gone through. It's it sort of got this two or three laps of you know golden zone where it's like it's real soft. Everything's going well. And after that, because it's so soft, it starts to grain. It starts to lose grip really quickly. Um, whereas the medium tire uh, lasts a lot longer. And while it doesn't have as much peak grip, it, it's more consistent and sort of fa- falls apart more gracefully. So 
Um, Vettel is nursing his tires, and Kubica caught him. And, you know, they, they were battling back and forth, but, you know, in this particular straightaway, you know, uh, Kubica just caught Vettel just really quick. And I think that part of it kind of caught him by surprise. Uh, and, and Kubica was making a move that, in, you know, previously just would not have been possible unless these cars had that different of a kind of compound of tire going. And uh, I think that that was part of what – and I think from looking at the footage, it's really hard to blame it on Vettel. I think the only reason that the Vettel uh, – not maybe the only reason, but it certainly didn't help Vettel. That right on the radio after that, he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm such an idiot. And Riz basically came out publicly to say, yeah, this was my fault. Um, well, which, you know, it's, it's ironic because I, I completely respect him for taking responsibility, taking blame. I think there's far too little of that in this sport and, frankly, in the world. Uh, but I really don't think it was his fault. I don't think so That's either. And, and it's, it's too bad to see the nice guy – you know, end up getting the really bad deal here. But um, I think for BMW, the the appeal is pretty easy, saying, "Hey, this guy ran into us, and he goes and readily admits that it's his fault, so he should be penalized." And you know, in, the, in that situation, I guess the World Council sort of said, "Oh, yeah, that that seems reasonable." So right. um, Vettel does have a ten spot penalty for Malaysia for wherever he qualifies. Jeez. He's going to have to move back ten yeah. spots, and that um, is a shame. Yeah. So because I think Vettel is a a, a real contender for some wins this year yeah and uh it's going to be hard so um you know and the, 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 it's a possibility that if he hadn't said anything about that hadn't made any announcements or anything about oh this is my fault and oh i'm so sorry guys um you know maybe that would have been gone into some kind of uh you know an appeal and they would have talked about uh, or you know a, a taken it to court or whatever and um decided oh you know you this driver did this this driver did that and i think just from looking at the overhead shots and everything i mean it's not like because Vettel was on the inside, he was getting past. I mean, Kubica came up really fast on the outside, right? And just kind of didn't give Vettel anywhere to go. Vettel did slide wide a little bit, but it's not like he was intentionally trying to block or intentionally trying to cut a corner or anything. I mean, it didn't look right. like anything anything screwy that Vettel was doing. It's just that you know he was taking the corner at his pace and didn't didn't know that right. Kubica was going to be that fu- you know that far around him in the corner. And it was just. Incredible driving on both their parts. Yeah. I mean, I, they're fantastic watching. What's so exciting about this is it's not Hamilton. It's not Raikkonen. It's, it's, it's newcomers. It's different teams. And, and again, I, I, I absolutely love six different teams. Six different teams collected points this weekend. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really tremendous. And I mean, we saw really promising speed from Alonso and Renault at times. Again, Williams, Toyota, 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 uh, all look strong. Um, Ferrari, I you know still think again, it, it's it's really more wide open than it ever has been. The only teams I'm not expecting to see much from is STR and uh, Force India. That's speaking, it. Yeah, speaking of Force India, um, Giancarlo Fisichella definitely got his pit stop wrong. Uh, one of his, I think it was his first pit. Um, where he actually missed, I guess, missed the sign or somehow because he's, you know, these guys are driving right into the sun at this point too. So I'm not sure he was able to see very well down the pit lane. Oh yeah, that's oh yeah. But I mean, and, and what could have been a lot worse than it was because he didn't end up actually, you know, knocking any guys over with that huge front wing. But um, you know, definitely scattered his pit strap, you know, his 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 guys in the pit box. Um, he just turned in way too late. Like you know, it's like like he saw his his pit stop and and right as he was going past it, turned in and you know there was guys holding tires right there. They were ready for him. But uh, he ended up, you know, just totally miscalculating where he'd have to turn in for his pit stop. And, they had, and you know, and they had to end up pushing the car back, have him then drive forward into his pit box. He lost a whole bunch of time. But more importantly, you know, I think endangered his, his guys, you know, when, you, when yeah, you're making absolutely. driving absolutely. like that. And, you know, if, if and he, it seems like it was obvious he missed the box. But then in the last moment, he still turned in some. That, that yeah. I don't understand. Like he could, if you he, miss it, just stay straight. Or yeah, just just come to a stop. They'll push you back. They'll, so he, you know, somehow he gauged the depth wrong, or or whatever happened. You know, he, he yeah. And it's all well good up. to blame it on the sun, but you know what? Nineteen other drivers managed. So true enough. I'm sorry. True I, enough. I, I well, you know who else didn't manage? Yeah, Kaz Nakajima. Yeah, yeah. Now we we talked about some impressive people, some teams that are coming up. Now it's time to talk about the other side of things, and I have a few on my list. Yes, well, one, because this is an easy one, Kaz Nakajima. Um, <laughs> Poor Kaz. And it's, I mean, it's hard to say whether it was his fault or not, um, because a lot, of the, a lot of the drivers were taking what looked to be right about the same line through this corner. It was the exit of one of these corners where you could get the middle of the car right up on the curbs, um, and... I guess, you know, if, if maybe something broke in his car, because it really just, you know, came around on him and all went wrong really really pretty quickly. But, uh, and he was all on his own here, but, uh, you know, just... The end result was a nasty shunt yeah, that he has no one to blame but himself. Spun across the track, 
um, into the wall pretty hard, uh, and you know, just and that actually caused the safety. That was that caused the safety car that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, because he was right on the right on track, and his car was stuck there because right. there's walls. So, and it's a shame because he was looking to have a pretty decent run. Yeah, he uh, well, he started uh, what eleventh? Uh, no, he started seventeenth. No, where did he start? I don't know. My whole uh, my whole. Yeah, he started eleven. Started eleven. Okay, yeah. and uh, and yeah, I mean, just so, so pretty bad accident. It was only seventeen laps in. Um, you know, that's too yeah, bad for uh, for Kaz Nakajima in the Williams. And uh, and we mentioned Giancarlo Fisichella almost running over his pit guys. But, yeah, uh, who else do you have on your list of shame? Well, Heike Kovalainen. Oh, dude. Jeez, I mean, runs into the back of Barrichello. Uh, it's slow all weekend, and then he doesn't he also. God, where did he end up? He ended up in the – oh, yeah, and he was the first one out because of that first race accident. <laughs> I mean, he was he was unimpressive in qualifying, uh, especially compared to Hamilton. Qualified 12th, and that's only because he only, you know, he only, he only barely got into Q2 out of Q3. He did nothing in Q2, and he's the first one out of the race in Australia. Yeah. Not looking too good. So, I think Hamilton deserves a better teammate. Um and uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. Nelson, our boy. So supposedly his brakes went crazy. It was brake failure. Um, and we don't we don't know. We weren't riding in the car to know just what Nelson was doing. But everyone's and this was just after the safety car pulled off after they'd been running for and actually for quite a long time um, behind the safety car because it took you know it took a while to get everybody shuffled around and uh, you know get back to you know having the leaders right behind the safety car and all that. Um, so they're, you know, everyone's tires are cool. The track, you know, because the, the, the sun is starting to set and all that, uh, the track is cooling down a lot. There's a lot of shade and all the drivers are having issues getting heat in their tires. Um, which is why it's, you know, curious that it's a brake failure because the brakes would have been as, as cool as they, you know, as uh, yeah. Uh, brake failure. I, yeah, I have a skeptic eye on that one. Um, but, and then everyone takes off, um, and then everyone else slows down for this corner and, uh, and. Nelson just kind of doesn't. I mean, he kind of hit. Well, it's not even that he doesn't slow down. The car just, the rear end just, just swaps ends. Yeah. And I, and his brakes were locked up, um, you know, as he slid, slid across track and into the gravel and off into the, uh, you know, off into the runoff. So, um, so it, I guess it is possible that his rears weren't up the temp and he locked the rears. That's possible. The brake bias was wrong and he locked the rears. But honestly... But again, everyone else made it through that corner, right. unless there was something I am that just losing patience for this guy. And everyone that listened to this the show knows I didn't have much patience for him in the beginning. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, he's got to get his act together very quickly. Yeah. So, Jim, now we've talked about the performance of the teams and the drivers and everything else. It's been a fantastic start to the season. How about the performance of Formula One in general? What do you think of the rule changes? Uh, what do you think of the racing? What do you think of some of this stuff? Well, obviously this is an exciting race. Um, I think the racing was better. I think it, I think it really um, we didn't, and it, it's again it's kind of hard for us to say how much of that, like how much did the new aerodynamic rules really come into play? Um, we did see some some running nose to tail. We did not see. I guess I mean with the Vettel Kubica thing, they were they were running pretty close for quite a while. And it seemed to me like people. It seemed to me that drivers were more comfortable closer than they have been in years past in general. It's just one race. You certainly can't, you can't, you know, make any definite claims here. But it, it's a promising start. Absolutely. And you have the combination of the aerodynamic changes, the tire changes, and the curves, which some people had and some people didn't. Yeah. And it, it all added up to make it more dynamic. And the, I think, for all the grumbling that we had during the off season, and I think our grumbling was deser- you know, was was merited. I think the racing is better. I think the curve system is making the racing more exciting. I think the tires are making the racing more exciting. The change between having the bigger deltas between the soft and the hard tire, I think all those things are coming into a play to making a better race. The other thing, which it has proved to be uh, nice, real nice to know, is the um, FIA, in an effort to save cost, has mandated that all the teams share the weight of the vehicle before the race, which essentially tells you the fuel load yes. of, the, of the cars entering the race. I mean, they're doing some nice things here that are improving the sport, I, I have to say. Yeah, Kurs, the, the, one, the one exception I think I take to that is, is it was really hard today to gauge 
um, how Kurz was really being used and uh, and, and quite to, you know, to what effect that had. Uh, partly, I guess, because, there's, like you said, there's all these other rule changes involving the tires and right. the drivers. Right, it's just one of many. Obviously, Braun GP kind of came up out of, you know, out of the ashes of Honda, and, you know, it's, it's really kind of, um, it's a bit hard to sort of keep track of how much of this was the aerodynamics, how much of this was the tires, and so on. Absolutely. Um, with Kurz, um, there's even some questions. Like, I'm not even quite sure without getting into real detail on the websites and all that, if Toyota was running Kurs or not. Um, you know, like, you know, Ferrari talked about it, McLaren, I know BMW, like we said, Heidfeld had it, Kubica didn't, um, Renault's got Kurs. As far as I can tell, all the other teams did not. Um, you know, we know Red Bull, STR, Williams, uh, Force, Force India, Braun GP. Um, but a couple of those, it's like, you know, they didn't, we didn't get enough onboard shots showing that battery voltage indicator to yep. show how much of Kurs was used that to really get an idea of, how Kurz was how Kurz was really affecting the lap times, you know. Like right. I'd like to see a Hamilton's lap on similar tires and well, fuel load with and without Kurz. Or what Kurz is, you know, Kurz doesn't improve the lap times. It seems like it seems what Kurz does is just improve the options during a lap. You know, if if you have a spot where you need a little more juice, you've got it, and you know there's strategy involved in using it. I I think that at least to this point, Kurz is being hindered by the restrictions on it. Uh, you know, at, at the time, you're limited, to, you're limited to producing an extra 60 kilowatts or about 80 horsepower, and you're limited to all using it for only 6.7 seconds on a given lap. And you can't save it, so you can't have, you know, you can't have, you can't have like one lap of curves two laps or anything yeah. like that. Uh, to me, it seems like it makes a lot more sense to say, here's curves. Free reign. The more, the more energy you can get from braking, use it. That's fantastic. Because if you want to promote F1 as a the pinnacle of motorsport, and b you want to have them learn from new technology, don't don't hinder it the technology so much. So I'm hoping to see that as this season goes on, and definitely into the coming years, that the rules get a little bit more liberal for Kurs, and uh, the teams can really see how much they can get out of the system because. Uh, the, the big penalty of the Kurs system, and this is exactly why Robert Kubica doesn't have it, is because the system weighs almost 100 pounds to add to the car. So that's 100 pounds in the car that you can't move. It's not ballast weight anymore. It's it's fixed in one spot. And so it's, there's there's a real penalty to Kurs in some ways. I still think I still think it's a good idea, and I think it proved to be effective overall. Yeah, and I, I guess I'd, I would have liked to see just in the coverage and watching it, or maybe some kind of, um, you know, I don't know if, if like a lap by lap analysis or a fastest lap analysis or something, but some like maybe a, a track map that shows where Kurz was being used by the drivers that had it, mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. know, just maybe some kind of a you know, some a little more transparency in the Kurz system. I guess is all I'm saying. Where so we have a better idea who's got it, who's using it. Um, and how? And the other the other thing we haven't actually talked about much on the show is this movable aerodynamic piece in the front of the in the front wing, um, where drivers actually have a push button control on their steering wheel to move one element of the front wing up or down by six degrees. Oh yes, yes. And they get yes. to move it up once and down once each lap, um, so they can presumably you know flatten out the wing a little bit for the straightaway uh, and yet turn it up again for when they want to go through you know the twisty parts. Um, and you know have have more mechanical or have more aerodynamic grip uh, through those parts, and again I don't think we had any way of knowing uh, because we can't even see the front wing and the onboard shots, and I think you know six degrees we wouldn't even really be able to tell from the other the outside shots, um, so we don't really know how that was being used, if that was being used, uh, and that kind of thing. And again, it would have been really interesting I think to see maybe a track map overhead view and show you know one color for when it's down and one color for when it's up and see how the different drivers are doing that differently. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, um, if maybe when you're running behind a different another car, you flatten it out to try to get that much more straight line speed or, you know, just, just how it's being used because it's great that it's there and that may have been contributing to the close racing we saw here, but that may have had nothing to do with it and we don't really know. So I guess just a little more transparency in the curve system and in that the front wing adjustability um, and and I'd really be sold on it, you know. I guess, and that's just a matter of maybe the, the world feed and the coverage getting caught up with ways to show us, you know, these visualizations of what's happening. And maybe now that the race is done and everyone's got all the data, um, you know, they could have just a video that kind of shows how the, just some of the different drivers use their front wing control and use curves, and uh, we'd be able to see, you know, just kind of how it, how it played out. Absolutely. One thing about curves, though, that I, I'm not particularly a big fan of. I didn't really think about this in the off season, but. Um, 
each uh, so each car has got you know the whole the, the generator slash motor system. They've got the battery packs and all that, and it, they use these lithium ion batteries, which are you know really particular in how they have to be charged and stored and all that. And I guess the process of actually charging one up plus to, they save the environment. So they yeah, so they can because uh, they, they want to start the race with full curves, of course. Um, so so that everyone you know as soon as they get up to 100 kph, um, you know they can they can hit mash the button and, and right. get, get an, extra boost. Yet another restriction, um, which I mean I think is a bit of a stupid one anyway. I don't think, I don't think you'd get anything. Your traction limited at the first for the first hundred yeah. kilometers anyway, hundred kilometers an hour. Yeah. Um, so and it, you know they talked about the, the process of like the six or twelve hour charge time it takes to actually get the get the curves properly up to up to speed and up up to voltage and temperature and everything, um, so that you can start the race with a full charge. Um, but uh, they use these these lithium batteries, which are pretty bad on the environment. Actually, you know, mining lithium is a dirty, dirty thing, and uh, and you know they have to ship these things all over the world and everything. But they actually have to use a new lithium battery, you know, set of battery cells for every race, which is a huge use of batteries. I don't want to say a huge I think waste. what Jim is trying to say is please recycle. But it's like. To go through this technology, which is supposedly helping recover energy, and maybe it's – I guess if they don't have any environmental implications, they just want to say it's to make the racing better, then who cares? Yeah, we use a lot of gas. We use a lot of tires. Yeah, we use a lot of lithium batteries. But if they're trying to, <laughs> if they're trying to promote this as a green initiative, that they've really kind of missed the mark if, if – you know, Okay, okay, but let's be Until fair. they have let's lithium packs that you know, they could regulate say, hey, these have to last two race weekends or three oh, race weekends uh, or sure, whatever. Sure, sure, but let's be fair here. I mean, come on. Uh, Formula One teams go through everything, just like you said. I mean, it's not environmentally sound to run through as many engines as they do, as many transmissions as they do, tires, everything else. But I think you can say with a fair amount of certainty that knowledge learned from Formula One has gone into production cars and made production cars better as a result. And I think the goal and the idea partially behind Kurs is that that's something else that keeps Formula One relevant and can then trickle down into production cars and help make production cars better and more entertaining for guys like us that aren't opposed to being green and good for the environment in any way, shape, or form. I'm all for it. I actually want it. But, excuse me, I don't want cars to suck as a result. And I think Formula One getting into this business is going to help us in the long run. I, you know, so I mean, so it's... So it's, they're investing in the technology. They're investing in the technology. And I, I think that's, that's the way to look at it. Formula One consumes... Lots of everything, and uh, there's not much you can. Yeah, I mean so, that's just the nature of it. So but, I guess all we have to do is just be clear that the the fact that you know, and some people are gone to simplify it as far as saying, oh, F1 cars are no hybrids, and okay, yeah, I guess in a way, but it's not the, like the, there's suddenly these really green automobiles. Right. The purpose of Kurs isn't so that it's not like it's not like a, a GMC Yukon where it's like, oh, instead of getting 15 miles to the gallon, we get 20 miles to the gallon. They still get 2.75 miles to the gallon or whatever it is. And, you know, they use curves for the power, but the, the, the long-term goal is to learn, develop the technology. And in the long run, they might even, you know, Formula One cars, maybe they may just say, well, now you're limited to use this amount of fuel. That might happen. I mean, that might be a long-term corollary to some of this work. Fair enough. It's in, it's in its infancy. It's it definitely, its it definitely is, and it's still a so. bit confusing as far as how they present that to us, the viewers, and... You know how it's all made clear, and, and I guess if you were watching in the stands, I don't know if you'd have any idea who was using Kurs and when, or you know what what people right. were doing with their wings. I mean, the, the, on TV they have, have a couple options to sort of show us, you know, what's going on, but in the stands, I guess you just kind of have no idea. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess um, does that does that do it for uh, no no for no this race? gosh no? What, what We've got is, lots to cover, Jim. This is this okay. is this is a new year for the F1 show. We've got a couple new things to try out. Um, first of all, we have to thank everybody. For just the activity on the Facebook page, the comments we've been getting in the off season, it's it's just been fantastic. We're we're absolutely beside ourselves um, with uh, all you guys, and you guys are all very intelligent, very knowledgeable fans, and and, and it's just fantastic. Um, <laughs> Tim Meekins, however, might have a little bit too much time on his hands. Uh, uh, they are not brawn to run. They're not brawn to be wild. They're not brawn to rule, and they're not brawn champion. And I don't think Vettel looks bullish, and I don't think he's seeing red either. But you get an A for effort on that one. That's um, a punny guy right there. And I also, <laughs> I also want to thank Daniel Jewell for giving us a quick uh, race report on our own homegrown hero, Justin Levi, who um, Daniel has reported was starting in P17 and had a great pace but actually spun 
uh, during the race. So, uh, or maybe that was for qualifying. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, Justin Levi, we'd absolutely love it if you could give us an update of how your race went. Um, we, we, all of us at the F1 show are rooting for you, and we hope you had a good run. And uh, we want to hear more about it. And send us a picture of your car. We all want to see it. We love the Lotus Elise here, and we, we uh, Jim and I have both driven that car and absolutely love it. So for sure. Uh, uh, you know, definitely thank you for that. Um, also, thanks for people for sending in uh, Australian food ideas. <laughs> we, we, uh, <laughs> we <laughs> okay, so didn't quite work out. <laughs> so they sent us, okay, so we got a couple of things that were recipes, and which anyone, I mean, we appreciate you sending us recipes. Robin and I are, you know, in the, in the times that we, uh, we have to get together, watch the show, watch, you know, watch the F1 racing, qualifying race, and put and together the, the podcast, takes, put the, put together and record podcast, it, and get yeah. it out, and try to get to bed at a reasonable hour, so we can both go, to our, both go to our day jobs in the morning. Do not really have time to have like a cooking kind of dinner party in between. So the, as the recipes, much as we'd like to. Uh, we definitely appreciate you guys sending those across. Uh, we were not able to quite make use of those, and we read up a little bit on Vegemite, and boy, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a bad deal. Sure. That, that's, I've actually had it, and I, I think it makes them a little bit scared knowing what's like, what it actually is. Like it's just kind of the yeast culture and whatever. So well, what is it? Leftover from beer hops? Yeah, right? the leftover from brewing beer or whatever. Oh, it's part boy. of the byproduct. I don't even know how they came up with that as being a good idea to eat, but ended up getting burritos. Yeah. Uh, so sorry for. Yeah. We we kind of fell off the wagon on a little the, bit uh, there, which is <laughs> on on the food from the location of the race aspect. But but we looked up okay Australian food. It's not it's not all that crazy out there. I mean it's yeah. uh, They said oh they have you know meat and pasta and, and seafood and you know stir fry and pizza and it's like okay well that's all pretty standard stuff. Right. Exactly. So. Uh, Jim and I actually did, before the race started and before qualifying, we did predict, we did make predictions here. We did. For this race. And mine were not, not brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> to be sure. Jim picked truly, Yarn truly on pole. He had some early form in practice, okay? And Felipe Massa for the win? You know, I I figured they'd get, they'd get the pace or they'd have the reliability. You know, Ferrari reliability, it's legendary. It is quite... Legendary. Just not in Australia. In However, I picked Rosberg for the poll, which, you know, okay, fine. Fair enough. But Jensen Button for the win. Nice. Thank you. Jim owes me a Coke. I do. I do indeed. And which brings us to the next step. This is something we, we thought of that we wanted to do. Um, it's completely academic because we don't really know anything, and we want everyone listening to join in on the Facebook page or just leave comments on the F1 show, and uh, we're gonna we'll share people the more interesting ideas. Jim and I are going to predict who the F1 champion of 2009 is going to be right here, right now. We're going to predict it. We're going to give our reasons why, and this is totally off the cuff. We don't have anything prepared here. Okay, and then. Then we want we want everyone that uh, has an idea to chime in with their own their own opinion of who's going to win the Formula One championship and why. And then, as the season goes on, we will con- compare and contrast and find out how wrong we were. Okay, Jim, you first. Yarno truly. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say Jensen Button. Um, obviously, he had really good form today, and the Braun GP car really seemed to be on, but. Uh, I'm actually going to say for my driver prediction, we're doing drivers for this, right? Not teams. Correct. Yeah, you can you can throw in a team. I'm going to say Robert Kubica, actually. Ooh, I do. And why is that? Well, keep in mind, Kubica was leading the world championship midway through last year. You know, when when the um, McLarens were off and on, the Ferraris were off and on. They, you know, each one had some issues and everything. And BMW is actually was leading the constructors championship for a while. Robert was right up there in the points. I I think even if Heidfeld's got the car, he just doesn't quite have what it takes anymore, and I think Kubica is doing a really brilliant job. So Braun, while I don't think their speed was a fluke, I think they're going to be solid. I think BMW, um, having more experience and uh, just, you know, I don't know, you know, just I feel like they're going to be able to catch up and continue to do well, and I guess it really hurts their effort considering Robert got zero points today and Jensen got 10, but... As trying to be a little bit, sixty points available. Yeah, and still trying to be you know a little bit different than just saying, oh, the guy that won today, I think is going to win everything. I think I think Robert Kubica has got a really good chance at it, and uh, that's going to be my prediction. All right. Well, my prediction is Lewis Hamilton is going to repeat. Oh snap! Now, I agree with you. That's a big claim. I agree with you that uh, 
Braun GP Speed is not a fluke. I think they're doing very well, and I couldn't be happier for Jensen Button. I'm a big Jensen Button fan. Um, and I think these first three races, especially the flyaway races of Australia, Malaysia, and then is it is it Bahrain is the third race? I think it's... I believe Bahrain. I don't even know. And um, <laughs> I think you're going to see uh, Braun GP strong for all three of those races because there's not that much the teams can do in terms of development between now and then. And so... You know, the performance you saw here is going to be more or less the performance you see in the next three races. However, uh, Braun GP is still a smaller team. I think they're going to have a hard time keeping up with the really big teams. Eventually, this diffuser is either going to go away or every team's going to have it. And the big teams like McLaren and Ferrari are going to have better chances of using resources to catch up than the other teams. Yeah. And I think what we saw today is uh, Lewis Hamilton that's slightly more mature. He's had another year under his belt, and he's just phenomenal. He started 18th, ended up third. Some of that was luck, but a lot of it wasn't. Um, That was really good strategy by the team and just a phenomenal driver. I think those two things combined are going to allow Lewis Hamilton to repeat. I Obviously, I'd be happy to see that. As you know, people know that I'm a, I'm a Hamilton fan. Uh, just to correct what we said a second ago, um, the next race is, is Malaysia, and the one after it's two weeks after that is the Chinese Grand Prix. Oh, okay. The I'm season's sorry. been all shifted around. I mean, usually Malaysia's near the end, China's near the end, um, but it is. There's two weeks in this Chinese Grand Prix, and actually, um, there is a hearing about the diffusers that happens in April, the, in the week prior to the Chinese Grand Prix. So we won't have any update on that for the Malaysian for next race because that's only a couple days away. I mean, yeah. the teams are already the, packing the up chances, and heading out the there. The chances of that. The chances of the teams being penalized is very small. They, you know, there's three teams running it, not just one, and they're not doing anything about it until uh, two races are done and over with. Yeah, and I really think that'd be if if that did come out, I'd be horribly disappointed Plus, if they said. I mean, the teams that are against it are even saying it's within the rules. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's within the rules. You can change the rule to make it illegal or. Or you leave it alone. You, and the other you, teams. Can you leave copy it, and it. they let the other teams yeah, catch up. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so we'll definitely, you know, we'll we'll have an update for that at the Chinese Grand Prix uh, episode. We'll, we'll let you know how that how that panned out. But uh, like Robin said, in the meantime, there's a lot of activity going on on the F1 Show Facebook page. Um, also, you can leave comments on our uh, our site directly at f1show.com. Let us know what you think about our predictions. Let us know your predictions. And uh, also you can just send an email to feedback at f1show.com if you would like. Or if you want to post any kind of a video or audio clip or anything just on YouTube or at any of these sites and uh, just email us a link, um, we'd be happy to uh, take your questions and comments and predictions and those sort of things in any of those ways. So uh, we definitely appreciate there's, there's, you know, We're getting a lot more uh, a lot more people interested in the F1 show. And Which we love. Of, and we want just, suggestions on how to make it better. Yes. Yeah, so we're getting a nice community going around uh, the podcast and we're posting posting things in you know midweek on the uh on the Facebook page and everything. So uh, just, you know, check it all out. Just go to F1show.com. You can click on Facebook. You can There's an email address and everything's yeah. right there. And please let us know if you think we're screwing up. We're, 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 we're big boys. We have thick skin. We can handle it. And we, we want to make the show as good as we can. And uh, with that in mind, we have – we are introducing now a new segment on the show, F1 Show Trivia. How about it, huh? How about it, man? What a novel idea. All right. Let's, so, see, let's see how smart our fans really are on F1 Show Trivia. This is how it'll work. We will give you the trivia question now. This is a bit like car talk for the people that listen to NPR here in the States. We'll give you the trivia now, and next week we'll give you the answer. In the meantime, you guys can discuss it on Facebook. Send us you know, your guesses on... Uh, any of the ways we just and, talked yeah, about. Any ways we just talked about, exactly. Now, uh, in the age of the Internet, it's always possible to figure this stuff out. Um, so we invite you to try to be creative on how you find your answer and, uh, and uh, uh, don't ruin it for the rest of us. Fair anyway. enough. Anyway. <laughs> yes. So the question, this week's question. Okay. As you may or may not know, Jensen Button's win in Australia was the 200th win for a British driver in the history of Grand Prix racing starting in 1950. Who was the first Briton to win a Grand Prix? And what year and what race did he do it? There you go. There you go. We'll have the week, the this the answer to this trivia question next week. And, and I'll the, give you a hint. He was British. That's a brilliant hint there. <laughs> that, that's, that's, I, I mean, I hope I didn't just give it away. Yeah, I mean, it was a big hint though, because that really narrows it down. 
Not German, nor Brazilian, nor French. Although, there is one more thing you should know, is that the F1 show is brought to you by the Performance Box. The F1 show is supported by the Performance Box. It's brought to you by it, supported by it. It's basically because of the Performance Box that we are here. Not really. It's a GPS-based lap timer, performance meter, and data logger. Perfect for any car nut to use at track days, autocrosses, or to simply see what your car can do. Shipping worldwide from V-Box USA. For more info and the online store, go to performancedrift.com. Absolutely. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in just a week's time. Until then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. See you then.